Hello everybody! Welcome to episode number 9 of Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm Michael Bradley. And as always, the goal of this podcast is to cover everything Batman from the beginning. Uh, so with each episode, we take a look at a month worth of Batman material, starting with his first appearance in Detective Comics number 27. This week, we have one comic to cover yet again, um, that being Detective Comics number 35, as we examine Batman material released in December of 1939. So we are in the last month of the 1930s. Yep. It's been a, kind of a bumpy road, I think, so far. But, <laughs> right. Um, Bill Finger comes back yep. this episode, which I'm very excited about. because yeah. it's, a, it's a nice way to, to leave the year. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be recording again, though, because um, although you listeners won't probably notice anything, uh, it's actually been a couple weeks since Michael and I had a chance to record together. Um, we've both had issues going on that kind of take precedent or right. priority over the podcast, so uh, it's yeah. been a couple weeks. But um, well, thank God we had padding. So yes, hopefully, yes. Hopefully, no one will uh, will notice a lapse in our in our weekly schedule. Right. Uh, but speaking of which, we are kind of uh, pushing time tonight because of an issue on my end. So uh, we're going to skip over the emails this week, uh, but we will uh, we will catch up on those in a future episode. So keep on sending those emails. We really like hearing from uh, the listeners. We've, we've got a lot of good feedback, but mm-hmm. we have big egos, so we want more. So Right, right. <laughs> All right, so you ready to get into the issue? Yep, go for it. All right. Detective Comics number 35 was released sometime around December 7th, 1939, and it had a January 1940 cover date. The cover was by Bob Kane, and it shows Batman restraining the nefarious Duke D'Orter, or D'Orter, the villain from last issue, uh, as the Duke is about to inject the man with a needle. It seems this cover was likely intended for last issue, since it has last issue's villain on it. Exactly. Except the the guy he's stabbing doesn't necessarily look like anybody from last issue, but. Well, how do we, that guy <laughs> doesn't have a face though, so uh, maybe this is before he lost his face. Uh, no. I can't argue with that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but Batman looks really awesome on the he cover. He does. Yeah. Uh, his ears are a little, a little longer than I prefer them, but. Yeah, but they're really making his 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 cowl much more prominent than they have been. Yes. Um, and his cape is starting to do the, you know, the sweep over the shoulders thing. Mm-hmm. And his his um, his chest emblem is much bigger than it has been. So yes, it's nice to see. I don't know if Bob Kane was just playing around a lot with the look in these earliest issues, or if he just wasn't able to remain consistent on it. But it, it just it seems like every issue there's a little little change, a little modification to the to his look. Yeah, I have a feeling. You know, they. Unlike today, where you probably have an artist with you know three months in advance warning, and they're filling sketchbooks full of designs to hammer it out. You know, with these with these stories, it's like I got an idea. Okay, let's publish it next month. You know, and right? Then, yeah. And so he has to actually to figure it out as he goes. So either that, or there's you know other people in the Bob Kane Studios at work here that are could be changing it along. Yeah. With him. So our story was untitled originally, but has since gained the name The Case of the Ruby Idol. And it's 12 pages long, written by the returning Bill Finger, with art by Bob Kane and inks by Bob Kane and Sheldon Maldoff, letters by Sheldon Maldoff, 
and edited by Vin Sullivan. And this is Vin Sullivan's last issue as editor of Detective Comics. He will edit the next two months' worth of Adventure Comics, and then he'll be gone from DC permanently. Uh, Sullivan apparently left the company over a dispute stemming from the royalties from the 1939 issue of New York World's Fair Comics, plus some some other issues um, dealing with how the uh, company was treating certain members of the certain employees, I guess I should say. Mm. So even back then there was creator control <laughs> yeah. issues or yeah. or something. So our story begins with Bruce Wayne listening as his good friend, Commissioner Gordon, rants about the Batman. A man by the name of Weldon interrupts to tell, to tell the commissioner about an urgent situation. Weldon owns a museum, and a few days prior, he was approached by Sheldon Lennox, a globetrotting explorer, looking to, st to sell him a ruby statue of the Hindu idol Kyla that he found on a trip to India. Weldon bought the statue, but days later, he received a note threatening that he would be destroyed if the idol wasn't returned to where it was stolen. Earlier this day, he had received another threatening note uh, saying destruction had already visited Lennox and that he, Weldon, was next. The commissioner heads out to try to find Lennox and the Hindus and brings Bruce Wayne along just for fun. As they patrol the streets, they happen to see four Hindus driving in a car with Lennox hostage in the back seat. The commissioner and Bruce give chase, but a bullet takes out a tire on their car. And as they near the wharf, the Hindus apparently stab Lennox and toss his body into the water before speeding off, screaming that Kyla has been avenged. The commissioner tells Weldon he's giving him and the ruby a police guard to keep them safe. Bruce then grabs his trusty pipe and heads home to write a story for the paper about <laughs> Lennox's murder. <laughs> The article grabs the attention of many people, including thugs and a quote-unquote oriental named Sin Fang, all who scheme on how to grab the idol for themselves. A few weeks later, Weldon tells the commissioner that he can do away with the guard because he has installed an alarm to protect the ruby. Bruce thinks this might be a bad idea, so later that night, the not-quite-as-mysterious-anymore-but-still-totally-awesome-Batman creeps into Weldon's house, only to discover two thugs have beaten him to the punch. The Batman dispatches the, of the thugs with a round of fisticuffs, only to be surprised and knocked unconscious by a group of Hindus. The Hindus smash the case, case containing the ruby and make a run for it just as the Batman revives and is confronted by guards who mistake him for one of the thieves. With some acrobatics, the Batman evades the guards, swinging through a window and outside to safety. Hopping into his car, he speeds after the Hindus, following them to Chinatown and the curio shop of Sin Fang. Later, the Batman visits Wong, the unofficial mayor of Chinatown, seeking information about Sin Fang. Wong warns the Batman about Sin Fang, saying he's a fence and is likely intending to cut the ruby into smaller pieces and sell them. The Batman isn't about to let that happen, so he pays, Sin, he pays a visit to Sin Fang's shop and politely asks him to turn over the stolen jewel. Sin Fang says he didn't know the ruby was stolen and tells the Batman to follow him and he'll get it. Thankfully, the Batman is on to Sin Fang because as Sin Fang opens the door, two scimitar-wielding Mongols charge through the door and attack the Batman. But Batman makes quick work of the two giants, knocking the first into the second's sword and taking out the second with a swift left hook. Sin Fang apologizes, saying the guards must have been scared by the Batman's mask. <laughs> 
But as Sin Fang steps out of the room, the door slams shut, locking the Batman inside, and the room starts to fill with mustard gas. The Batman grabs a vial from his belt and smashes it against the wall, and the chemical mixes with the mustard gas, rendering it harmless. Sin Fang, Sin Fang blames the gas leak on bad plumbing and again goes to get the ruby. But as he slips into the next room, he flips a switch, causing the Batman to fall through a trap door while Sin Fang screams, This time die, Batman! It is no accident! The Batman is able to grab a pipe that is protruding from the side of the shaft and climb out of the pit to free himself. He then creeps up on Sin Fang, who is mwahahaing over the ruby, and watches as Sin Fang removes a pair of skin-colored gloves and wipes makeup off of his face to reveal that Sin Fang is really Sheldon Lennox. <gasps> it seems that Lennox was the one who had sent the notes about the legend, then hired Hindu impersonators, and no, I'm not making that up, and faked his death. He had made a deal with Sin Fang to cut up and sell the ruby, but they had had an argument, so he killed Sin Fang and took his place. Lennox pulls a gun and fires, but the Batman dodges the shot. Grabbing the idol, the Batman throws it at Lennox, knocking him out the window to a bloody end. The next day, Commissioner Gordon fumes that the Batman is making the police look foolish, while Bruce just smiles and smokes his trusty pipe. <laughs> the end. Yeah. So, I don't know if it's just because we've been wallowing in uh, Gardner Fox tales about talking flowers and, you know, weird villains that make no sense, but I just found this story to be a... A breath of fresh air, really. Yeah. Um, I had some problems with it. Well, yeah, there are some problems, but at least even those problems you can attempt to explain in your head and work out right. to some level. Talking flowers, I don't think anyone yeah. can understand uh, that. Right, right. But it starts off again with a uh, really cool you know, opening panel, you know, half-page panel um, of Batman wielding a gun of all things, a smoking gun even. They're still sporting that Superman Batman logo, but it looks a little different this issue, though. It does. It's uh, kind of coming from the bottom of the the arc rather than the top. Yeah, and but the, still, it's very Superman esque. Right. Yeah, which makes no sense because didn't they use the you know quote unquote correct Batman logo in an earlier issue we've covered? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I was mean, back in uh, Detective Comics number thirty. They had right. that. And that was a genius logo. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I guess because Superman's all the rage, so they're just Superman trying to copy was, it. Superman was selling tons of issues already by this point. Yeah. So they were all trying to, you know, right. cash in on that. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, but like we said, Batman's looking a little different this issue. His, um, He's much more blue than he's been. His, yes. You know, his, his uh, cape, cowl, mask, and underwear. And uh, he's starting to look to me like the, you know, the happy-go-lucky Batman and Robin, you know, right? Silver Age model that we're gonna get into eventually. I mean, his ears are still pretty long, and he has a little dark bent to him, but he, you know, his shoulders are broader, and his chin is square, and and uh, yeah, he's looking a little more classic Batman. Right. Still doesn't have those those uh, glove scallops though. I didn't. I didn't or, really pay attention to that, but you're right. Or fins, or whatever you call them. Scallops is more manly. Yeah, but we have Commissioner Gordon back again, finally. Ray. Yeah, he didn't appear in any of Fox's stories, did he? Right. No. The last time we saw him was the last uh, 
finger story in, in number 28. 28. And that was just a panel or two. Mm-hmm. So this is really the most we've gotten of Commissioner Gordon since the very first issue. Right. So essentially we have, you know, Fox introducing Batman to problems by just random circumstance. And Finger, at least, I mean, it still kind of makes no sense, but at least Finger uses Commissioner Gordon as like a gimmick to get right. Batman's foot in the door. Yeah. Commissioner Gordon seemed friendlier towards the Batman, though, in the earlier issue, number 27. Did, didn't you think so? Mm, I'm trying to remember what he even said about him. Um, he he was, certainly, he didn't seem to have any animosity towards him, but... Right, right. I mean, they weren't friends or anything, but... right. Here, he just seems totally annoyed at the Batman. Yeah, well, the and Batman's like, shown him up like nine times now, so or eight right. times. Yeah, and he's thrown people off rooftops, I guess. Yeah, so maybe initially he just didn't know that much about the Batman, and now he's starting to get the idea. Or maybe they're, again, stealing ideas from the Superman comics where the police aren't exactly happy with Superman either. Yeah. Did you notice how uh, uh, Gordon's hair color keeps changing all throughout the issue, though? Yeah. First, he's a brunette, and then a couple panels later, he's a blonde. Yeah. And then, uh, finally, by the end of the issue, it's wider gray again. Yes. Uh, I did a little, moving on to page two, I did a little research, and from what I could tell in just a brief Google search, there is no deity in Hinduism named Kaila, but there is one named Kali, or Kali, who, okay. is, considered, who is considered the goddess of destruction. Okay, so pretty close. Pretty close. I wonder if they knew that or if they were just lucky. I, I don't know. It hmm. could be. Of course, if they knew that, why not just use that? That seems cooler, but. Yeah. But either way. But Gordon sure has no problem uh, endangering his best friend, Bruce Wayne, does he? No, no. It's like, sure, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go hunt for someone whose life is in danger, but I've got plenty of time, so just come tag along. Right. I mean, in, 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 number, in number 27, it was just a crime scene, so. Right. You know, the damage had been done already. I guess it's okay to bring your friend to show how, to show how cool you are, but this is like he knows that there's going to be a murder. Right. So let's bring you along so you can be a, you know, a casualty. Yeah. Um, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, I I like like you said earlier that Finger is using Commissioner Gordon to introduce Batman to the different villains or whatever or yeah. to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. But I would like him to come up with better reasons for Bruce to be tagging along to crime scenes. Or, you know, he doesn't even have to have him tag along. He could just overhear these things, and then Bruce can go become right. Batman and show up, you know? Right. Or whatever. And we have these letters, and I was going to make a joke that the uh, the Hindu idol worshippers have very nice penmanship. <laughs> right. But then I just kind of passed it off. But then, you know, it turns out – I wonder if that was supposed to be a clue – that these guys ah, weren't exactly weren't really Hindu right. mercenaries or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. That's and then a later on, I had the same uh, thought on with when they're driving around the car or in the convertible. Mm-hmm. Again, it might have been a clue that. Yeah, I saw your or was it your note or my note? I don't know at this point, but um, about how it was kind of convenient that they just came across them. But then I got to thinking that either well, a. I think that Either yeah. A, it was on purpose because that was the whole point. That was the plan to be witnessed um, killing this guy. <laughs> so they had to make sure that they were caught. Yeah, but even that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, they're, they're just going to drive around until they happen to right. get a policeman on their tail. That's pretty ridiculous, too. So the other idea being that 
since they knew where the guy lived, they were going to his house and they just happened to see them driving out of his, you know, driveway or ah, know, that's a good point. That parking garage point. or something. It's kind of a weird panel though. It makes it look like they're just driving around the city and oh right. hey, look, there's a car full of Hindus <laughs> who don't blend in at all. <laughs> no, yeah. So what's this about Bruce Wayne writing stories for the paper? Uh, this well, first of all, he doesn't say the paper. Um, he just says he's going to write a story about it. And then the next panel, they show the story in the paper. Right. But it doesn't say by Bruce Wayne. So that was one of my questions is, are they inferring that he wrote that or? That's he, what I took from it. That's, I guess you kind of have to, but. Because he says, no commissioner, I think I'll go home and write that story. And then the very next panel, you see the paper with the story on the front page about Lennox being murdered. Right. Either way, it made me groan because obviously right. they're just. They're ripping off Clark Kent here. But this com- is oh, Bruce sorry. Wayne. Bruce Wayne does not need to be writing for the paper. <laughs> no, no, it, it's too too much like Superman. Yeah, well, that and he has you know millions of dollars, so right. But right. whatever. But this is a different paper than the one they introduced in number twenty nine. That was the Daily Globe, and this is the Tribune. Okay, kind of uh-huh. like the uh, Chicago Tribune. Could be. Which is in um, Chicago. Well, yes, but in uh, in Batman Begins and Dark Knight, they used Chicago as Gotham City. Oh, okay. Not, not that they got that from this panel or anything, but no. Um, and you know, Chicago was notorious for its, you know, crime and mobsters and all that fun stuff. So right. Um, is this supposed to, on page four? Is this supposed to be Lennox dressed up as Sin Fang here, or the real Sin Fang? Um, the world will never know. I have no idea right. either way. I don't see any hints that suggest one or the other. It could easily be either, because the real the real uh, Sing Fang was just as interested in that ruby as as you know the fake one as Lennox. True. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, because um, they, he was working with Lennox and then Lennox killed him off panel. But, so, okay. but I do like the setup on this page and what began on the last page where you know everybody's reading about this ruby and. Mm-hmm. And all the yeah. player, the, all the players are talking about, you know, how they're all gonna converge on the same place, and right, and you know, mayhem will ensue. That that was really fun. And this one panel, this panel uh, five of Batman's head, he looks a little wonky there. He looks wonky because I think his cowl is starting to rise up too high on his face, maybe <laughs> or something. But he's also smiling, which is just yeah, not something we've seen really. No. Um, and so, like I said, that's kind of leaning more towards the Batman and Robin era that we're going to be getting into. I like the fight scene on page five, though. Oh, Batman. yeah. He doesn't mess around. No. But he is making jokes. Yeah, and I would like to see a little less of that. Yeah, but that I that got me thinking that the last time we saw him making jokes was, again, Detective Number 28 under... With Bill Finger. Yep. Bill Finger's script. So I guess Bill Finger likes Batman to be a little jokier than Gardner Fox. Yeah, it's interesting to see the different takes on the character with the two different writers. Yeah. Uh, you don't really have that over with, on the Superman books because it's all Jay Siegel. Right. So. But, yeah, it's a really good fight. I mean, he uh, breaks the guy's arm and yeah, he takes out the, the two crooks and then he takes out the Hindu, f- or most of them anyway. But these are uh, these two pages are both quite well drawn, I think, even the, mm-hmm. the weirdness with, with the Batman's look. Kind of changing every panel, but yeah, and it was just very... a fun. It was just a fun scene because I like the setup, like we just said, and then 
mm-hmm. you know, the payoff is good. Everybody gets together and Batman beats him up. <laughs> That's fun. That's what we like to see. Great. And then he gets uh, cornered by the police himself, thinking that he's a criminal. So. Yeah, and I was wondering if this is the first time he's directly, uh, you know, punched a police officer. I think it is. I yeah, I don't think we've seen that to this point. Yeah, I mean, the only other interaction was that one time when he threw that guy off the building. Well, those were criminals, though. Right, but I mean, the police showed up. And, oh, okay, uh, I see. Tried, yeah. tried to catch him, but he, he just ran away. He didn't fight them or anything. Right. So now he's officially punched the law, which is probably not going to make Commissioner Gordon happy. Probably not. Uh, um, but yeah, cool escape. He uses a chandelier, crashes through a window, uh-huh. catches onto a tree, and takes off in his now blue um, high-powered roadster. That's not called the Batmobile. Yeah, it's a new car, though, because this is a convertible. Uh-huh. And it's blue, so blue. so they're getting closer to, you know, at least now he's matching his car. Right. Um, I can't believe they still haven't figured out. You know, they got the the bat plane and bat gyro and batarang, and <laughs> but let's just keep calling it a roadster. You know. Yeah. It's like uh, well, all the all the bat stuff came from Fox, though. Yeah. He hasn't. Did he drive his car in, in a Fox story? I can't even remember. I don't oh, think yeah. so. Did he? Uh, yeah. Remember, because we were making fun of when he picked up uh, Julie from the monk, how it was really badly drawn. Oh, right, right, right. I compared it to the scene from Tim Burton's Batman. That's right. Okay. Right. So, yeah, even Gardner didn't figure it out. Oh, well. But to go back to the escape, we get another repeat of that stupid pose with Batman swinging. Uh-huh. That's true. Bob Kane is used in, like, every story. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just doesn't know how to draw people raising their arms over their head, so he has to just keep referring back to that one panel <laughs> over be. and over again. I don't know. But this this uh, does remind me of something I had a note about earlier, and I skipped over it. Uh, I think there's no... We don't really get the, the Batwing cape this issue at all. Nope. And I think it's pretty much done for. Seems like it. It's so a, you might see it here and there, but... It's a full-blown cape now. Mm-hmm. I love that I don't I don't know that it matters to the story. I can't decide if it does or not, but I love that he goes to this unofficial Chinatown mayor to to ask about what's his face, Sing Fang. Right. That's just very Batman to me, you know. Yeah. I thought they were going to reveal that this was maybe a uh, an operative or someone that he had worked with before or saved before. Mhm. Um I think today they they might have done that, but Back probably. then, it was probably too much like uh, too much like the shadow. Yeah, so but it, it's just it's just even cool that he would know where to go to. Oh yeah, that's find very, out. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know that it it serves anything to the story other than it just makes Batman look like he knows the city and mm-hmm. and and who to talk to. And I like the panel where he's creeping out of the shadows with his uh-huh. cape drawn over his face. That's a very very nice panel. And it's interesting to me that the 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 mayor has heard of Batman and knows that he fights all things evil. Yeah, they kind of keep going back and forth on what the average Joe thinks of the Batman. I mm-hmm. mean, we've got police thinking he's a criminal, and here this guy thinks that he does good things, so they're kind of keeping an air of mystery about... Uh, his his how, true how, intentions. Right, right. Yeah, which, you know, by design is how people should perceive Batman, I would think. For the most part, he's not really the the Superman type where you 
I mean, he is eventually. He'll stand there and take oh, yeah. pic- pictures with the rest of the Justice League. But yeah, you know, the ideal version for me anyway is the one where, you know, he's just a scary figure of the night who, you know, who who the heck knows what he's up to. Mm-hmm. And actually, he'll become the the uh, bright shining, you know, symbol of the establishment long before Superman does. Which really? is kind of weird when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's very weird. Yeah, because Superman is is not a uh, a uh, on the side of the law at this point. <laughs> no, no, no. Far from it. So he's on the side of what he thinks is right, and yeah, everyone else can be darned. But what's uh, Batman's kind of gone soft. What happened to the Batman that punched first and asked questions later? Yeah, he just he just goes to Sin Fangs and very politely asks for the ruby statue back. It's yeah, I think it was. I don't really sure what the point of that was to prove that Sin Fang was either an imposter or evil. Yeah. I don't know. Um, or maybe it was just an attempt to to line up all these traps that he has to go through now. But even as, nice. but yeah. you know I right the traps don't really do it for me. I mean, first of all, I always wonder like who are these? Who are they building these traps for? You know, I mean like <laughs> like only Batman is. <laughs> Is gonna is gonna go through any of them. So are, are all these bad guys just building these traps for Batman to, to one day come and, well, and test like on? I, or? Like I told you the other day, you never know when a superhero is gonna stop by and try to fool your evil plans. So you've got to be prepared. Yeah, I guess maybe they've heard of Superman too or something. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they are kind of ridiculous, but they are also a little fun, especially the uh, the first one with, with the, the two uh, Mongols. Yeah, that yeah. was a really cool fight. Um, he just kicks that guy into the other sword. Yeah, that's it's brutal. Brutal, but uh, it's nice. Yeah, we still have a a little bit of darkness left in Batman. We're probably not going to see that much longer, but. But then we get the lame bit with the mustard gas. I don't think it's quite that easy to uh, render mustard gas harmless in a big I, open area like that. Yeah, I got a. I think I got a C in biology, so <laughs> I'm not really an expert on that, but. I would assume you're right. And even if you're wrong, what are the chances of him having a anti-mustard yeah, gas capsule? Exact. Right, yeah. I mean, does he encounter that all the time or what? But It's the bat mustard gas repellent. Mm-hmm. But it was cool, the panel, the close-up panel of, a, of his, um, the vial on his belt. I mean, uh-huh. we've seen him using the belt already, but it's getting more distinct. Yes. These little uh, cylinders that are on the belt strap. And they stopped uh, pausing earlier in the story to, to show you what Batman's putting in his belt. Or maybe that was just a Fox thing. Right. But Well, in this particular story, I don't know how you would have justified showing that anyway. He had no, <laughs> he had no idea what he was up against. So. Right, right. I must bring this anti-mustard gas chemical just in case. Just in case. But there's one thing my dad always taught me is when you make a trap door <laughs> and a really long chute, um, don't stick a pipe out the side for someone to grab onto on the way down. It's a classic mistake. Yeah. Especially a pipe that's so high up that you can just stand on it and then jump back out. Right. Um, so that was kind of funny. And also, that, that one's like the worst of the three traps because it's like, really? There's a there's a bottomless pit in your store? It's not bottomless. There's a, well, there's a water down there. Okay, right. It's a 20-foot pit or whatever. I don't know. I know when I had my curio shop, yeah, right. uh, 
I wanted to put a 20-foot pit in it, but the uh, architect said that it wasn't uh, up to code, so we had to pave over. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not as cool as it used to be back in the day. Yeah. But surprise, surprise, Sing, is that his name? Sing Fang? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Sin Fang. Sin there's no, Fang. There's no G in the first, yeah. Okay, Sin Fang, because he's sinful, right? Um, exactly. Is not really Sin Fang after all. <gasps> I'm shocked. And I gotta say, I've always hated when, uh, in movies and television and even the comic books, when someone disguises himself as an exact replica of, you know, yeah. an existing it's, person. It's very Scooby Doo or Mission Impossible. Yes, yeah. it's like you cannot do that. It's just not possible, especially in the 30s. I actually, just the other day, I saw an episode of Mythbusters uh-huh. where they where they busted that myth. They actually went to a Hollywood mask maker, and Jamie and uh, what's the other guy's name? Anyway, the two hosts. Oh, yeah. They tried to make masks for the other one to get uh-huh. to them to look like each other, and they brought in an acting coach to get them to you know teach them the uh, mannerisms and stuff of the other host. And it didn't work at all. No. Yeah. I mean, God, just look at that movie White Chicks or whatever. I mean, it's just so obvious <laughs> when someone's wearing a... <laughs> okay, that's a weird reference, but okay. Uh, um, it's just that movie has scarred my brain for life, and I've never even seen it. Just the trailer alone scared <laughs> me. But um, what's even worse for, as far as Batman goes, I'm pretty sure there's future episodes, or maybe it was cartoons, where he would wear a mask, and when he took it off, he had his cowl on underneath. <laughs> I... I just read one of those stories tonight. I'm reading – I'm currently reading uh, volume four or five of the Chronicles. Yeah, so it's and, like – Yeah, he did that in there, and I'm like, no, that doesn't work. Uh, where were that. his ears, you know? I mean it, it makes no sense. Uh, um, so – but Lennox's plot here is pretty convoluted. Mm-hmm. I mean why did he sell the ruby to Weldon in the first place? Was it just to get more money? Yeah, I think – that part works for me because basically what he's doing, I think he's just selling it and then stealing it and then selling it again. Okay. So all that worked in my head anyway. But, okay. But the part where he kills Sin Fang also, I guess, makes sense because they had a fight and they're bad guys. But right. I don't understand why he impersonates him. Unless maybe Sin Fang had everything lined up to sell it again. And Well, Sin Fang was the... Uh... See? <laughs> <laughs> He was when he talked when Batman talked to Wong, Sin Fang said he was a receiver of stolen merchandise. Uh-huh. He was, was planning on cutting up the ruby, probably planning on re- cutting up the ruby and selling it, because Sin Fang had the shop. Right, so that's so Lennox that would Sin Fang to sell it again. Okay, so see then I guess that works for me too right. because 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 right Lennox isn't alive at this point, you know. To the general, to the general public, right. So he couldn't just go back and sell it himself somewhere right. else, right. And Sin, yeah, I guess you could assume that Sin Fang already had clients lined up to, right, to, to sell it to. So, I guess if Lennox was behind the counter and said, "Oh, sorry, I killed Sin Fang," that wouldn't have gone over well, maybe. <laughs> no, probably not. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, compared to the Talking Flower story, this one works for me pretty well. The traps are a little excessive for a. You know, offense, but that's kind of a Batman staple, so. Yeah. I kind of liked uh, when Batman just wings the 
on page 13 or page 12, sorry, when he throws the idol. Yeah. I mean, as as prepared as Batman is, he's still using things mm-hmm. just at hand and kind of winging it as he goes. Which if, is, you, if you don't have a Batarang handy, you can always use a right. cursed, cursed idol. Exactly. Um, and I really like that panel where uh, where Lennox is dead and, you know, the combination of the caption and the panel describing the blood red uh-huh. cursed idol mixing yeah, with his that was with his, good writing. Yeah. With his blood or whatever. Actually I guess I could just read it. It says with bitter irony across the crushed body falls the blood red idol, Kila, god of destruction. Um, yeah, it's pretty gruesome. Um I, I originally was gonna say that Commissioner Gordon's hand on Bruce's shoulder there at the end was kinda creepy. Uh-huh. And and it still is, but I just realized that what uh what Commissioner Gordon is saying, he says, I wish I could get my hands on him. Oh. Said, ah, see, he's sitting there with his uh, hand on Bruce. So. I didn't even notice that. That's yeah. funny. I, I just now noticed it when I was looking at the panel again. That's clever. Um, yeah, it is a little creepy looking, but that's funny now that you point that out. Um, and Bruce Bruce Wayne has that you know, big old smile on his face like, ha ha, you're so dumb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, overall... Um, the story kind of reminded me of the second Doctor Death story from Detective Comics number twenty nine thirty. 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 Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but I like it more because it actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. And we get an explanation of why the villain is being a villain. Right. That's the nicest part. You get yeah. some motivation. Yeah. And the villain isn't you know other than the excessive death traps. The villain isn't doing things that. Without explanation, as far as you know, he doesn't have powers or abilities that, right? You know, they don't explain. Right. Um, he's just a thief. Cars that drive by themselves, or talking flowers, or yeah. rays that zap your face off, and <laughs> you know, none of that. I mean, even the traps—they don't make any sense that you have them, but at least you know that they could be built. Right. So yeah, it was a much more grounded Batman story. The uh, final panel shows is an ad. It shows Batman smashing through a wooden door uh, towards a uh, thug that has a gun, and it says, "And it says, don't miss the next exciting episode of the sensational Batman as he crashes through to smash another blow at crime next month." Woohoo! Woohoo! Now I haven't read ahead to next month yet, but I'm gonna assume he's not actually crashing through any doors, but we'll see. You never know. That'd be cool. If it ties into next story somehow. But yeah. Welcome back, Bill Finger. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, this story has only been reprinted twice. First in Batman Archives, Volume 1, and in Batman Chronicles, Volume 1. Yep, you guys got to pick those up. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. 
And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world, and when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually. Because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. Um, so other stories in this issue. We have a half-pager called, the Rail- called Railroad Ling- Lingo by... George Papp. Uh, we have the Unknown Sub, which was six pages by uh, a Bart Regan story by Jerry Siegel and Maurice Kashuba. So, Mark Bailey is gone, I guess. Yep. We have six pages of Buck Marshall, range detective, called Branded Yellow, which was not a good thing back in the old West, um, and that was by Homer Fleming. We have six pages of our new feature, Steve Malone, District Attorney, called The Kidnapping Racket by uh, Gardner Fox and Don Lynch. Have you been reading those? I have not. Oh, okay. I Um, wonder if they were as senseless as Gardner Fox's Batman stories. Probably, and I was kind of wondering, like, when I first heard about it, I was thinking, why would anybody write a story about a, you know, a District Attorney? That doesn't sound especially exciting, but... Then I got to uh, thinking, you know, like Perry Mason and... Right. And the Law and Order shows and... Right. Yeah. So I guess that could work. Murder, but, She Wrote? Yeah. I guess she wasn't an attorney, though. No, she was a... a mystery mur- writer. Mystery writer, right. How sad that we know that. Okay, so... Two, <laughs> two pages of uh, text called um, Mystery with Music by Richard Lawlor, if I pronounced that correctly. And if I didn't, he probably won't care. Um... We're going to get letters. Right. Six pages of Speed Saunders, an ace investigator called The Voodoo Vengeance by uh, Fred Gardiner. We have six pages of Cosmo, The Phantom of Disguise called The Strange Case of Dr. Dupre by Sven Elvin. And yes, he disguises himself as a homeless man. Woohoo. So good on you, Cosmo. Um a one-page humor strip called Spanky and Cranky, The Twins by Bob Kane. Uh, 
a six-page Bruce Nelson story called The White Goddess, which is actually The White Goddess Part 2. Um, it's a continuation from the last issue. And it's by Tom Hickey. And we have ten whole pages of Slam Bradley called In the Foreign Legion by Jerry Siegel and Mart Bailey. Um, so he's still around for that one, but unfortunately with that story, there was no punch opener. So Aww. Boo. boo. Have you heard my World's Fair episode yet? Uh, probably not. I talked about there was a Slam Bradley story in the World's Fair comic, which I talked about in that episode, and he had a good, a good opening splash to that one. So, okay, I thought you'd enjoy that. Yeah, I have your latest two queued up. So if it's one of those two, I'll be hearing it shortly. It, it was the most recent episode as okay. of when we're talking right now. So okay. Uh, in this issue, there was also a half-page color ad for Flash Comics number two which I will tell you more about in just a second, and a full-page black-and-white ad for, for Superman number three, which we mentioned last episode. Mm-hmm. And is that Other, still is that still being just reprints at this point, or was that... The first three issues were all reprints. Okay. Uh, number four started the new stories, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, other books from DC in January, or excuse me, December 1939... We had Action Comics number 20 with Superman versus the Ultra Humanite. We had More Fun Comics number 51 uh, with the final uh, strips of Buccaneer and Flying Fox. And those will both be replaced with one strip in the next issue. And I will tell you about that when that comes around because it's a very well-known character. We had Adventure Comics number 46, Flash Comics number 2, with a new feature called Rod Ryan of the Sky Police. Okay. And that also, yeah. And that issue also had the very first cover with Hawkman as the main feature. Cool. Very cool. There was All-American Comics number 11 and a second issue of Action Comics, Action Comics number 21, with the final Golden Age appearance of the Ultra Humanite. Aww. Aww. Who gets immediately replaced by Lex Luthor. <laughs> Two issues later, yeah. Yeah. Well, t- yeah, two issues later. Um, outside of DC, we had Marvel Mystery Comics number four from Timely, which had the first uh, cover appearance of Namor, and it shows Namor punching out Nazis on a on a Nazi boat called the Death Razor. Woohoo! Woohoo! And there was also Pep Comics number one from MLJ Archie. This was MLJ's first superhero title, and it features the first appearance of The Shield, who was ah. one, of the, one of the first patriotic-themed superheroes, and I would say most certainly an influence on another patriotic hero that will be showing up in about a year. Yeah, it's very frustrating that I've, I look up The Shield, and it always says one of the first. No one really wants to commit to him being, <laughs> him being the first. And I don't yeah. know if that's because we can't prove it or we really don't know, but I've always tried to figure out who was the first, and the shield is the closest I've come to, and it's always one of the first. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm thinking the first, but since no one's willing to say it, I guess I can't say it either. But I haven't read enough Golden Age comics outside of DC to really say one way right. or the other. But right. There could be know, some obscure character and some right. lost story. Flag man or something, yeah. But right. but I know that DC didn't really have any that were so overtly patriotic like that at this no. point. No, they just used Superman eventually. Really? Oh, well, oh, no, he wasn't going. I was going to say Mr. America, but he was still going by Tex Thompson at this point. Wow. Um, 
Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy might be the first oh. that wear it so openly on their sleeves for, uh-huh. for DC. And they come later, don't they? Like um, a couple years, know. couple years from now. Yeah. Uh, as far as comics timing goes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got anything else? No, we've wrapped up the 1930s. I think uh, I'm good for today. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. If you have questions or comments, feel free to email us at podcast at batmanlegends.com. Like I said at the top, like I said at the top of the show, uh, we skipped over emails this time just due to time issues. But we will be reading those again, uh, maybe not next episode, but the one after definitely. So keep writing in and let us know what you think of the show and the stories. We also invite you to stop by the website at batmanlegends.com, where you'll find the link to the show's Facebook page as well as the Twitter account. Uh, there's the RSS feed and the iTunes link, so lots of ways to subscribe. You'll also find the uh, show notes for this episode and, and past ones, as well as a contact form if that's easier than using the uh, email address. I also invite you to check out my other podcast, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which you can find at greatcrypton.com, where I'm exploring through uh, the earliest Superman stories. As, and I invite you to check out Mike's new podcast, The Mighty Shield, which he co-hosts with John M. Wilson. Why don't you tell him a little bit about that? I don't think we've talked about it on the show at this point. Uh, yeah, so John and I have started a, a monthly podcast called The Mighty Shield, which is a Captain America podcast. And essentially our goal is to talk about a golden age, silver age, and modern age all at the same time. Um, we're still kind of working out the kinks, but episode two should be coming along here shortly. Um, and you can find that at the themightyshield.com. And it's very awesome, so be sure to check it out. Thank you. Next episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Uh, there's no books to read, so we're homework-free for this time. But we will explain what we're going to do next episode when we get there, and we hope you'll come back and enjoy what we've got in store. Uh, also, be, to sh- be sure to check out our uh, partners, Batman Yesterday, Today, and Beyond, which you can find at BatmanYTV.com. And that's a fan site for Batman comics, toys, figures, news, and more. That's all we got. So, yep. see ya. See you next week. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and his copyright DC Comics. Ha ha ha!